I've been taking advantage of having nothing in particular going on to get really into Breath of the Wild because I never really had my like Breath of the Wild time, but now I'm doing it. I that game's very good. It's a very strong entry into the. It's probably the best Zelda game, even though it's not really one of them. And I love Zelda games too. It it's not not only is it like oh this is better than the other Zelda games for various reasons, but the reasons that it's better are like reasons that specifically appeal to me. Like I like exploration. I like stumbling on things as you're doing other stuff. Like, I like the collectability stuff and and I I don't know, just the fact that like everything you find matters, even like nonsense stuff, it's just like, yeah, I'll make this into a potion. This will be good. I'll make this into food. It will heal me in the middle of a fight. So it's like it's amazing how relevant they've made like everything you find in the game. I, I've never played an open world game that does it as well. I think my favorite thing about Breath of the Wild is that it like works really well on a bunch of different levels. Like I played through it casually because, you know, that's what I'm going to do. But I'll watch people speed run it and it's just so incredible because it's such an open world and you can do so much with it. Right. You can kill Ganon without getting any additional hearts or whatever. Like, yeah, and it takes forever, but I mean, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so Halo is in a similar place right now because Halo Infinite single player is an open world game for some reason instead of a theme park shooter which every halo has always been up until now right i i think it costs the campaign pretty significantly in the story department because the pacing is all off and stuff and the the first three halo games i think were like some of the best story presentations in and like level design that like first person shooters have ever had they like each one was like a huge step forward and this one is it's a very weird implementation for a halo game but it's probably the right thing for because you know 343 took over from bungie i didn't know that they did halo 5 which is was basically like you can just delete it from the halo catalog it's a completely unnecessary addition to it. it the story is just awful and most of this halo is like retconning that story out of existence effectively the the star wars 9 if you will <laughs> kind of yes I, that's what i mean like, that's what watching star wars 9 was for me it was like oh i, I guess we're just really aggressively painful. undermining the last movie huh <laughs> so what happened in halo 5 is that cortana your ai like kind of went crazy and decided to like seize control of all of the the halos are super weapons that wipe out all life in the galaxy so she sees like seized control of the halos and was going to use them basically to blackmail sentient beings into being peaceful. And then this halo, you just kind of get dropped in and like Cortana's gone. And part of the story is like sort of figuring out what happened after that. But you don't actually resolve that conflict. Uh, and then also you get a replacement AI who is Cortana, <laughs> like a oh, previous version of Cortana. Cortana. Wow. No, she's called the weapon, and then at the end of the game, you like name her Cortana again. So then, in the next game, you can just have Cortana again. All right, <laughs> it's it's definitely something. But on the bright side, 
they made it an open world game, which is like generally weird for what you are expecting to get out of a Halo, but it's really good for speedrunners. Like the shit you can do in this Halo is as, like you have a grappling hook now and the physics of it are for normal gameplay. Like the physics are, are incredible. It's like the best grappling hook I've ever seen. You know, you can like grab weapons off of weapon racks. You can steal weapons from enemies with it and stuff like that. And also fly yourself around in ways that are intuitive and actually work. But when you are trying to break the game, the grappling hook does like completely absurd stuff. Like you can throw a barrel into the air and grapple to it and then fly like really far across the you map. You don't and grapple stuff. the like, barrel to yourself? Well, so it depends <laughs> on the size of the barrel. You have to blow up a huge barrel and throw it into the air to grapple okay. yourself, or you can find a barrel under you and you can like grapple onto it and bounce off of it. Like there's a bunch of really weird physics things that happen if you do things in ways that like the developers weren't expecting you to do them see i don't really know anything about the halo game but i i've seen a lot of tweets about the grappling hook uh my favorite one was just as halo goes to show every game can just be improved by adding a grappling hook it does it makes it like you feel so free like the way you can move yourself around the map with the grappling hook is incredible uh i it's it's really good and it's very satisfying, like, the visual of it as it, like, because you just, like, wear it, and it's, like, a launcher thing, like, on your wrist. On and your so wrist. The, just the visual of him, it, it feels you throw really your good. hand out, and this stuff happens. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> I've just been doing my my same old stuff. Runeterra got really good for me the last month or so, so I've been playing that a lot. Like, they, they nerfed a bunch of cards, and all of a sudden you could play with a bunch of cards again. That's what that, that's what happens when they do it, right? Uh, and it's it's been really fun. Cool, good. I will get back into it at some point. Okay. I'll just give it another that. shot again. the okay. The single player parts definitely sound fun. So, I it's very it's not as good as Slay the Spire because it's not its own game, but it is very Slay the Spire y to me, where I can like because when I start playing Slay the Spire, I just want to play at least the entire floor I'm on. Mm-hmm. I don't like stopping mid-floor. But with uh, Legends of Terra, it doesn't matter to me as much. I can just do, like, a single room, and then I'm done. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely do a thing where I'm just like, I'll just play one act of Slay the Spire. But then when I... If, either I just play the whole run, or I do come back to it, and then I'm just, like, not invested in the run at all because I'm not in the headspace of, like, you know, thinking about what I am hoping to pick up or whatever. And, and so I usually just die, like, three floors later. Uh, see, I get the whole, I have the whole open up Slay the Spire ritual where I, if I'm in Act 2, I'll like look at my deck and analyze it for like two minutes, <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out what I'm doing. Because I hate just like picking up a run, going to a floor and like immediately dying because I don't remember what's going on. Right, right. Because that's basically like, that's what happens. Because I, 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 I find like the middle of act one to be like the most interesting part of the game so i usually just like want to get back to that if i'm not in a run that i'm like already invested in the middle of act one really okay like the first three fights before gremlin knob are just like getting damage and then after that i find it like pretty interesting to try to like hedge for whatever elite you're gonna fight and but also not just filling your deck up with like bad attacks so that you can get through them and then die in the middle of act two so i don't know i think the game has a lot of neat points in it yeah i mean there there are for sure 
but I, I definitely find myself when I'm not like in the middle of being invested in a run. I'm just like, I want to start over. I want to start clean and see what I get. I, I like all of Act 2 because that's where I die the most. Act 2 is so hard. <laughs> it's because it's <laughs> Every elite brutal. is like a problem with a capital P and the hallway fights are mostly like horrible. Yeah, your deck is also not good yet. So yeah, like yeah. Act 3 is also hard, but in a different way because you have a cohesive strategy by then if you've cleared act two <laughs> right right and another boss relic and whatever the fact that like birds can be your first fight in act two and like half plus of my decks just are gonna take 30 or more damage from birds like <laughs> man i love slay the spire it's a really good game i kind of so wish good. they would do another character or something with it so i could have an excuse to go through it again Instead mm-hmm. of just waiting, because I'm I'm trying to clear out like my game catalog, just not helped by how much I'm having fun with Frontera. But <laughs> yeah, I've gotten kind of over. I I played several because I have the like humble monthly bundle, and so I went through and I was like, let's play some of these. And I played through like several of them, and I am not really a like pick up a game and play through it sort of gamer. Like, I, I would rather, like, play games until I find one that I am, like, in love with and can spend 100 hours on and then play that one for 100 hours. I like that feeling of, like, comfort where it's just, like, my fingers are doing the controls because I know this game. Like, I, like, flip through the menus and I know what's in my, you know, I, I don't yeah. love picking up a game and playing it for a few hours. It just feels like a, a throwaway to me. Uh, I don't mind. It's just expensive. <laughs> yes. I. I, I like playing games to the point where I decide if I want to continue playing it or not. And, and honestly, yeah. I just haven't gotten to that point with a lot of the games mm-hmm. I have like right. that I own. And I would like to get to that point where I decide to finish them or abandon them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I just have like a pretty low threshold for abandoning a game, basically, is is where I'm at, I think. Like, I just played several this past weekend for 15 or 20 minutes a piece and they were fine they were like competent games and i could see where they would be fun like if i put in the time to get good at them but the bar for me is really high for me to like put the time into a roguelike or roguelite at this point to like get good at it it needs to be really really good or i might as well just play hades or something or slay the spire i've i've been trying to pick up more games with a finish like Mm -hmm. not endless grind kind of styles because i know i i can actually finish out what i'm doing like i have rogue legacy 2 in my library is one of my games i'm looking at and that game is in development so once it releases i'll start looking at it and that game is a roguelike but it's also a platformer so it does Mm -hmm. have like a defined endpoint gotcha (laughs) like the first one was really good and i really liked it because of that yeah i think that story ends up being like really important to me like giving me a feeling of like progression and getting through something and also i just really like a being told a good story so narratives i am a little disillusioned with it story i mean i like stories it's just that most story games are not games i want to play i would just right i mean that's the challenge right (laughs) just rather like watch them or you know yeah yeah for sure i i have a little bit broader or like you know like i like playing a god of war 
I like playing a Last of Us. I know those aren't games that like super appeal to you gameplay wise, but you know I'm pretty comfortable playing those games in order not not even in order to get the story payoff. Like I really enjoy the gameplay of God of War. So I mean I've played God of War, but I just don't have. I don't even know if it's on the PC now, but I know it wasn't only for on, a while. It is only on PlayStation, and the next God of War also only on PlayStation. And that may be the thing that ends up with me getting a stupid PS5. See, I'm just, but, I just don't want to buy a, I, I haven't know. bought any PlayStation since like two. No, I, <laughs> I didn't buy the, the PS4 until it was like $200 for the, like the nice version of it and came with two good games that I wanted. So like, I just really want to play God of War with the, the Zaddy Thor <sighs> character. Are we going to talk about Magic the Gathering today? We can. I don't really have a, a plan for that. I don't really have a plan for that either. I finished work kind of late, later than I expected to. We can, we can do whatever. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 226 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Lee, welcome back. Well, thanks, Chris. It's been two to three weeks, depending on when you yeah, listen to this. One of the longer breaks that we've taken, but rested up a bit, played some Legend of Zelda. I'm ready to go again. Breath of the Wild, the best one. It sucks you in pretty hard. You're just gearing up for Breath of the Wild 2 release date to be determined. To be determined. <laughs> That's the last I know they about They can take it. as long as they want to make it. I will have plenty of things to do, and as long as it's good when it comes out, then I'll be happy. That's like the Nintendo saying, right? Yeah, and it <laughs> mostly works. They have more of like almost perfect video games than anybody else could ever hope to achieve. So, At the very least, they have the fewest disastrous releases. Yeah, that's true. But they also have, like, a lot of 10 out of 10s. Yeah, and that's true. Across, like, only three or four series, like, a bunch of the best video games ever made. Quite pretty, pretty incredible track record. But I don't know, this isn't a, a Nintendo podcast. podcast. <laughs> a GameCube? Okay. <laughs> I mean, there were a lot, a lot of good GameCube games. I would say the magic news has been slow even though it's been three weeks we do have like topics here and there we can talk about chat about because stuff has yeah. been happening i mean just kind of does neat, anything we... over christmas so it's yeah. kind of to be expected it, it was kind of convenient to take a couple weeks off because we were, we're to do a podcast for each of those weeks we'd have to figure out like a real topic for those weeks now we can just like <laughs> roll all the news into one yes <laughs> Just a little bit of news about our podcast. Uh, we are going to be uh, trying to do some of that topic filling in a little bit more of a focused way. Um, and I've started reaching out to people who are doing a lot of work on individual decks and getting kind of experts to come in and guest and do deep dives on various decks in eternal formats. So we'll have a couple of those episodes coming up and try to maintain those pretty regularly neither of us are playing 
competitive magic as seriously as we have in the past and just like jamming leagues and stuff we may not be getting the most up-to-date information so definitely going to try to fill that gap a little bit with some players who are in the trenches playing challenges and stuff and really grinding week to week to get some of their expertise in so that's going to be a little of the uh kind of hardcore competitive content from us going forward so i'm pretty excited about that actually I, I'm also excited because I know the first couple of people we're trying to get, and I I hope we get them, and we can we can share that with everyone because I'm super excited to talk to those people. Oh, we got them. They they both already agreed. Oh, did so, they? Yeah, I didn't want to spoil anything. No, you're good. Uh, so we're gonna have uh, Connor Mullally on to talk about Pioneer Lotus Field, and we're gonna have Will Kruger on to talk about Hammer and pick their brains and and sort of go in depth as much as you can on a podcast on those archetypes and if anybody has any ideas or requests for people who you'd like to hear from experts on archetypes then definitely hit us up with them uh but i you know we'll be looking out for people to get on to share the benefits of their work with with you all and even if you don't know specific people like any any type of deck strategy or Mm -hmm. topic that you'd want to talk about or hear about uh throw it our way we can see what we can do yeah definitely broader magic universe news i mean i think the big stuff for our audience uh since i'm not really going to go too deep into the astrological sign secret layers (laughs) i I think the big thing for our, our audience is sort of the competitive play announcements various things number one the scg expansion thing and kind of hand in hand with that are patrick and cedric both leaving star city games uh and then also on the like wizards organized play front the hiring of william huey jensen to be there i don't know what his official title is but to run organized play pretty much i think it was a premier play director or something like that Okay, so do we want to, I guess we should probably start with the SEG stuff since that's going to be most immediately and directly relevant to people. Well, I think we should start with the Watsy stuff since it's shorter. Okay, that's <laughs> fair. I'm down for that. Yeah, so over the, the holidays, uh, Huey announced he was done playing Magic professionally because he was being hired by Wizards, mm-hmm. uh, which everyone applauded. I'm going to try and see if I can find his tweet uh, so I can get the... I don't actually know what his Twitter handle is. It's just Huey Jensen. Hey everyone, I have some news. In a couple of weeks, I'm starting as Watsi staff in the position of director of play programs. I'm very excited about this new chapter. Even if it's a little overwhelming to imagine not playing any more Magic tournaments, I will try my absolute best to make sure that everyone can continue to enjoy the game we all love. Magic's been a huge part of my life for 25 years now, and hopefully it will stay that way for 25 more. Much love. So, I mean, hard to look at that as anything but a pretty good sign i mean taking a career professional magic player and pulling him into the fold if the things that huey finds important about organized play if he's actually listened to and gets to implement things that he wants to it's hard to say how everything will work out if every idea is good or not but as far as like maintaining a paper organized play system goes, uh, it's hard to imagine that Huey's heart is not at least in the right place for or aligned with what we would like to see. And it's a little more all encompassing than like just paper play, 
Uh, mm-hmm. I looked at the LinkedIn page for the job description that Wizards posted, and mostly the duties that they say they require, and it's probably going to be even more than that, uh, is that they have, uh, Huey has to make sure all the play programs are on track, ensure they work with digital and partner teams to integrate all the third-party programs and stuff, work with business teams to advertise the play programs to businesses, um, player satisfaction, and then create target segments of new player acquisition for play, which is mm-hmm. a weird thing to put in the word for someone yeah, who's been playing I mean, for a while escapes me. <laughs> right, right. In in the term, right, to put in the hands of a like super invested like career magic player, pretty removed from the new player experience, but and to some extent like i think that they are kind of not necessarily diverging goals but not necessarily the most coordinated thing i don't think that the pro tour was ever like a huge thing for getting new players in i think competitive play generally is not the biggest draw to magic except like for getting hearthstone players or whatever into magic the gathering but as far as like somebody who wants to learn to play with the to play the game with the dragons and stuff in it competitive play is a thing that comes after usually it's it's less competitive play is less of an acquisition deal than like a a further entrenchment or a reason to keep playing yes yeah for sure as far as but maybe i mean who knows like maybe that's short-sighted maybe that's just based on our historic understanding and not necessarily you know, maybe it's a, that's a limited way of thinking about it. Yeah, possibly. I, to me, the hiring was a little odd. Like, I don't have very much against Yui at all. He's been playing Magic for forever. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I, I guess the weird thing is I don't know what he, like, what kind of experience he has in this kind of role. Like, Cedric has been running the the Star City stuff, and I know he applied for this job. And I really thought he was likely to get it just mm-hmm. based on experience. And it surprised me that I heard Huey got got it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Because what what is the thing, you know, I, I don't have a ton of like inside baseball on this or a close personal like knowledge of Huey. What is the thing that particularly sets Huey apart from any other 25-year Magic player? Right. And I don't, I also don't think it's like all on Huey really Mm -hmm. he's going to be working as head of a team and it's going to just depend on how much resources wizards gives him (laughs) yeah i wonder yeah i i I don't know but but basically i'm i'm hopeful that them at least hiring a director for organized play or whatever their position is called is good step but i don't Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't like I'm super. I'm not super jazzed that someone I know is in charge, or I don't. I don't know if they'll do a good job, or what Wizards is prepared to throw behind it, because it's still just like kind of a face to mm-hmm. what the company's trying to do, rather than actual steps towards anything. You know, that's true. But I think hiring someone is as close to a step. It's better that even than an announcement of an. It's like I would rather <laughs> hear we've hired this pro player. Then here, like, we've got big plans for organized play. Stay tuned. We'll make an announcement in six months. Like, this is more of a step than that to to me. It's also not a step Wizards make. Huey just said he's done because he got hired. Wizards didn't say anything about 
that they hired him or what they plan to do. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but there is so there is a fundamental difference between we have some player consultants to advise us on decisions related to organized play and we have hired a career pro magic player to be the director of our organized play offerings. You know, that's potentially that's at least saying this person's opinions and thoughts on what organized play should look like are going to be, you know, taken very seriously and probably mostly implemented. Like that's, I don't know. It's hard to look at this as anything other than a good sign Except that this is Wizards of the Coast we're talking about, so uh, yeah, that, that might be know. where a bunch of my hangups come from. <laughs> to be yeah, I, th- I think it clearly is, and I think that's so fair. I'm just waiting for the actual announcement where we get stuff. Yes, but it's, it's you know, 2022, you... so this is like the last year before 2023, <laughs> where organized play is supposed to happen. Yeah, I mean. We might all be dead of COVID by the time 2023 comes around, though. So, you know, okay. or at the very least, like not gathering for pro tours and GPs. Yeah, but we can do arena tournaments or whatever with people other than the MPL. Yes, with people other than the MPL. Key ending to that sentence here. <laughs> I just want to like, you know, email our episode where we talked about the the stages of organized play plan where everything <laughs> you know just like here's an idea make make it all available make it all accessible straight to huey bam there you go damn i should have cultivated that relationship more i, I don't think i've ever i don't know huey at all yeah I've never, <laughs> I've never talked to him anyway scg stuff now yeah so you know that kind of a bright note for the potential for future organized play, but obviously we'll see where that goes. Uh, SCG released an announcement that kind of a bittersweet thing to hear. I mean, tournaments are coming back. I, I don't know if they're actually going to come back given like, holy crap, the last couple of weeks of COVID have been absolutely disastrous. But assuming that somehow things get much better than they have any right to uh there are plans to bring back seg tournaments each of these is they're calling them seg cons and they include a bunch of events including standalone 10ks you know modern legacy 10ks and team events but they don't it's not a series you don't earn points you don't qualify for other tournaments you don't get buys or anything like that and as we as became very clear by Cedric and Patrick's announcements of resignation or you know just not really having a relationship with SCG anymore in Patrick's case there's no coverage for these either yeah that is I would have loved to be a fly on the wall between like Pete and Cedric or whatever when he when they were talking about coverage because that's super interesting to me. And it looks like with the SCG con this past October or whatever it was, mm-hmm. there was no coverage for that either. And I thought that was mostly like a COVID thing, like the the difficulty of moving stuff and ha- having people in and all that just added up mm-hmm. that it wasn't feasible. 
And then it just seems like they're continuing that note. And I don't really know why. They don't really address it ever. It's just kind of not in the announcement. Right. Yeah, and it's pretty troubling just from a, like, I love watching Magic tournaments perspective. Yeah. Uh, And these were the best Magic tournaments to watch. And now that's not going to happen anymore. You know, a, a part of me, like, very much understands the the part of me that like has been trained to accept capitalism and business decisions but you know most of me kind of rejects that doing coverage is expensive there's a lot of people involved there's a lot of work uh it is often exhausting for the people involved and the payoff for it is a little bit nebulous uh i i would have thought that since star city started doing it and kept doing it for so long that after running the numbers ultimately it was correct for them to do this coverage it created the hype for the tournaments it boosted attendance it created a brand and maybe now they feel like they can just ride on the brand that has been created or something i don't know you know i'm not not a businessman i don't have the numbers in front of me or anything like that but it does feel a little weird because the expense up until now could be justified and then to look at this and say, okay, we can't justify that expense anymore doesn't make a whole ton of sense to me. But, I, of course, I'm not on the inside of that decision process. Yeah, I would have to guess it's COVID-related in some fashion, mm-hmm. whether it's, I mean, I know people like Brian Gottlieb were just never, ever going to go to an SCG event as they currently right. stand because of covid and it, like he was a gaster for him. <laughs> so mm-hmm. who's to say that's not happening with other people that they would employ for that, you know? Sure. Yeah. But it does seem like they could have gotten, you know, certainly Cedric wanted to come back and do coverage mm-hmm. and would have been there. And I don't think they would have had a problem getting the people to do it. I, I mean, n- now with Omicron, like who knows, maybe, maybe right. nobody wants to do it anymore. But I it, was really yeah i'm sorry you can finish i didn't want to interrupt it, you. It, like i would have I, I would appreciate if it is like hey we just can't really do it during covid i i would love to have an announcement from them saying hey this is the reason we've made this decision we'll reevaluate in the future but for now it's just not feasible like that would be a lot more comforting to me than we're changing how we do the tour and it doesn't include coverage which they haven't actually said yet there's no mention at all of coverage Right. Like either there will be or won't be. It's just not in the announcement at all. Right. But it is it very much in Cedric's. Yeah. 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 I guess my thing was more like their public facing stuff from them mm -hmm. from Star City is a stance of non addressing. (laughs) Right. But that and then our like pretty clear takeaway from Cedric and Patrick saying we're not with Star City anymore is there's just not coverage and there's no plan for it in the future, which, you know, setting aside costs and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There was a lot of magic to the star city coverage, just like every single weekend. If I wasn't at a star city event, you know, usually there would be one on and it was so nice to be able to turn that on and have it in the background. And a lot of times it would be turned on and have it in the background. And then when Patrick and Cedric come on, like actually go sit down and watch the match because they were the best at it. They just like took it to a level that nobody ever had before. They were so fun to listen to 
in even like pretty bad formats and pretty bad <laughs> matches, they were able to make just like a joy to listen to. So like this is my like public gratitude expression of gratitude for like the content that they made for us. I like had a ton of fun watching those events. I hope to be able to see them sometime in the future, but if we don't, you know, still with some really good stuff we got out of that. Yeah, I think Patrick and Cedric are the best in the business at covering the time fetch lines take. Just <laughs> yes. so, so good at it. No, we got a, a we got spotted that because we only covered digital stuff. Yeah. So we never had to, there was no shuffling for us to fill time for. Stuff was like usually happening. And if it wasn't happening, it was because somebody was thinking about something that we could talk about. Like covering the digital stuff is is kind of easy mode. Covering games of shuffling is, uh, that's something else. Especially when there's a judge call and you don't know why. Oh my God. <laughs> cut, cut to something, cut to anything. Let me see some <laughs> vendors, like whatever. The, uh, the announcement itself though, the SCG Con expansion. I was excited for this announcement. Uh, summer 2021. Really excited. Like right after the Invitational. And then COVID started getting bad. And Omicron mm-hmm. is really bad. Really contagious. And I don't think there's a real chance I go to any of these events. I don't think I'm going to either. Even even I- despite really wanting to. And uh, like Sky and Connor were looking for a teammate on Twitter earlier today mm-hmm. i'm like man i would love to team with those people yeah yeah but it's just not it just doesn't make any sense to and we're we're in such a frustrating place where like it's hard to get excited about anything right like i i feel like i'm constantly in that mode of like i don't know if, if you ever had this feeling when it was like three weeks before finals it's just like everything's terrible like the next like three weeks i just can't like enjoy anything like food doesn't taste good i have so much studying to do i have so many projects to finish like this is awful and it just feels like that like how can you look forward to anything right now like it's just this super grim like pall cast upon all of our hopes and dreams right now i yeah i mean i i do feel that (laughs) yeah i do I want, I want, and it sucks. It sucks. There's no coverage for these because that's what I I would want to play in these. But since I don't think that's not gonna, unless COVID gets miraculously way better between now and then, which you know every time I it said can't. that, it's just it just worse, can't happen. So we're not doing we're not doing anything to fix it. Like our strategy now is like everybody take care of the pandemic on your own. Good luck and. Uh, it doesn't work. It's not effective. It's the it's our uh, our it's like the climate change plan too. Like recycle your cans and bottles, and you know that should do it. Mm. Unfortunately, yeah, I don't think holding large magic tournaments that have a lot of people come from all over the country and put them in one closed space is really good for anyone probably not but at the same time like does it even make a dent you know so there's a as a statistic i don't think it makes a huge dent but like anecdotally and on a personal level yeah i think it does 
Right, because, like, you could get it and then you could give it to somebody at home, you know, and and certainly, like, that is bad. As far as, like, a, you know, when when the whole way that we end up living is, like, uh, don't go to your parents for Christmas because that spreads COVID, but go to work every day. It's, you know, there's something, like, really broken with how this thing is happening and it's it's capitalism obviously is the thing that has like made us like approach this in this completely broken brained way but uh it's really frustrating yeah and i don't i don't think star city is from what i understand the events are not super profitable they're just marketing tools so i think it sag is trying to get something out of it but not they're like taking risks here to do it. Mm-hmm. So I don't I don't want to accuse them of being like, you know, super money grubbing or whatever. Yeah, it's it's hard for me to know exactly what to think about this. I do know my understanding of like the thing that made the SEG tour profitable is that it was a roving like card buying fair for them yeah. basically. It's basically. so difficult to buy magic cards without doing something like this and that was kind of the whole reason for the tour. Well, hopefully the residents of the Valley Forge Casino and Resort, which they're going to February 11th and 13th, can appreciate that when they sell their magic cards to Star City. I appreciated uh, Patrick's tweet about that. Like, oh, I didn't see it. What was it? If you if you go up to the sports book, you're going to catch something from the 1940s. <laughs> oh, that's right. I did see that. <laughs> the formats itself, though, in the uh, SCG Con... I know that, what is it? I think it was Ben who ran the poll about whether you want to see Pioneer on the SCG tour. And a lot of people, there was like a very small majority just against Pioneer. It was like 19% or whatever of the poll. Mm -hmm. Varying levels of I'll play this if it's there versus I'll play if it's a team event versus oh, I love Pioneer. Those are the options. Yeah. And... A lot of people kind of voted no, at least based on the Twitter replies and quote retweets, because they thought Pioneer would be replacing Legacy, assuming it would be like standard Pioneer Modern. Mm-hmm. But there's just no standard in any of these events. It's all yep. Legacy or Pioneer or Modern. Yeah, it's almost time to just call standard officially dead. Like, you don't I, really play it on Arena. You don't play it in SCG. Like, what? what is standard? I've been done. don't really exist. I've been done with standard for years. Please, I know. Please just let lizards kill it. It's not that I don't enjoy standard when I play it. Because it's usually like varying degrees of fun. It's mm-hmm. just not that fun to keep up with constantly. Yeah. It's just not. It's the, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Buying, you know, 200 plus dollars worth of cards for a deck and then either you need to really actively manage it or you forget about it and then they're worth ten dollars eventually is uh it's not fun man it's like not great no so kill it replace with pioneer pioneer is an actually good format it is and it's been getting a lot like it's been making one of the biggest magic comebacks i've ever seen it's a non-rotating format that doesn't have modern horizons cards in it Mm mm-hmm I think that's a huge draw. <laughs> that's actually like a really powerful pitch to appeal to like me specifically, honestly. 
I mean, yeah, it's just a good magic cards format. Like these are the set releases that are in this format. Mm-hmm. There are no weird products that you have to keep up with, except for yeah. that one D and D set we actually put into standard. But don't worry, there's very few cards that matter. Yeah, right? those cards are bad, so don't worry <laughs> about it at all. <laughs> Essentially, you see unexpected windfall and maybe one or two other cards, but that's it. I promise. <laughs> and you know, it's like an uncommon from, and it's a fine design. It's yeah. it's not a big deal. It could be in uh, any other set. You wouldn't blink an eye. Just to be clear on my stance on modern horizons two cards as it's like developed over time uh you know i i don't disagree that like a number of games in modern are fun the format is like very wide there's a lot of different things you can do uh, although a lot of it is very much defined by elemental free spells and ragavan to various degrees i do like ultimately have a pretty huge problem with taking modern and then saying all of the staples of this format are the mythic rares from this set that we made for it uh and it like makes it really hard to get into it makes it really hard to stay in it and uh like i think that i've seen people talk about like card prices and stuff and then the like retort of you know like modern decks really aren't that much more expensive they've always been like a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars for most decks and like look at these decks besides some of the yorian decks they're like a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars but they're like eight hundred dollars worth of modern horizons two cards they're not cards that you had lying around from playing standard or playing other modern decks they're cards that you have to buy that came out last year and right. i think that's like, a pretty huge you, difference even if you didn't own any if you didn't own any cards at all the prices are the same but mm-hmm. if you had played magic before 2020 Yes. Uh, you know, you're gonna have a, a huge amount of catching up to do, and that you're basically non-land. Like your your fetches and shocks are still good, but those old staples like Liliana of the Veil or Karn Liberated or whatever, not seeing that much play anymore. Yeah, although Tarmogoyf keeps coming back around. Yeah, but that card's cheap now, so who cares? <laughs> and also, that's a big Luris problem too. That that's why yeah. Tarmogoyf sees play. It's mostly because it's the biggest <laughs> thing you can cast off of a Luris. Yep. <laughs> but so yeah like that's that's my main criticism of modern horizons 2 is you know it to some extent removes the identity of modern as a format but also just basically makes the whole format revolve around a subset of very expensive brand new cards and that's really tough for like maintaining your identity as an x deck player and also just for maintaining a collection that allows you to play stuff in the format now it's you gotta buy ragavans you gotta buy solitudes and that's that's kind of a lot so so you know long story short that does make the pioneers modern card designs without having to deal with the expense of modern horizons 2 cards and that is fundamentally super appealing to me also not a fetch land format which i think is huge for us and not as much on digital because who cares but it does make the mana situation a lot more interesting. <laughs> like you're not always seeing the same mana bases in every single deck. You have to actually choose yeah. between your marginal dual lands with Stormcarved Coast and Spire Bluff Canal and all that. <laughs> River Glide right. Pathway. And you don't get the free splashes and stuff and it just yeah. Yeah, you have you have to work for better. It. And I'm kind of a little worried 
maybe not even that much just about pioneer i think a lot of what makes pioneer good is that not a lot of people play it and it kind of has this like 2014 or 2012 legacy vibe where you're like Mm -hmm. all right we're just playing legacy for fun here's my goblins deck right and the delver player is like oh yeah give me that goblin stack (laughs) (laughs) or or whatever i don't know 2012 legacy matchups but people are just like doing so i think gem palm incinerator really like made that a tough one for for delver that's why we're not testing me on 2012 legacy knowledge (laughs) (laughs) but like phoenix is really 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 good in pioneer it's also very popular because it's the type of deck that just gets popular Mm -hmm. and at I like that. I like that people can actually play with their phoenixes. That's kind of built up its own mystique, kind of like a Splinter Twin esque thing, where the card was really good in modern, dominated it for a while, uh, but then its its pieces got banned. And whenever someone like Spike brings a, like a Jeskai Phoenix deck, people get really excited about it because mm-hmm. Phoenix is a fun card and you get to play with it. And I'm worried that if Pioneer explodes in popularity, I'm hoping that it isn't the case, but I hope that the phoenix deck in particular or something maybe an omnath deck or whatever doesn't get so big and so powerful that it just mm-hmm. pushes everything else out because pioneer sure. is pretty diverse at the moment you've got like phoenix decks winota decks the lotus field deck uh the what's the just guy ascendancy is the one i was thinking mm-hmm. of and the sacrifice decks there's like uh, so many different kinds of all different colors of strategies of decks mm-hmm. which makes pioneer a pretty healthy format yeah and i i need to get into the trenches and play some pioneer uh because i can't give particular like thoughts on that and hopefully you know at least one or two of our upcoming guests can give us some some good insights into the state of the format i will say though as somebody who has played phoenix decks in every single format versus linear combo decks like it's hard for me to imagine a phoenix deck having an anywhere close to reasonable matchup against the lotus field deck like that that's a problem usually Uh, it's more interesting when you the lotus field deck is kind of an outlier i don't think it's Mm -hmm. a staple of the format as much as it is like a weird quirky deck that i think is cool that it exists and it's it Mm -hmm. doesn't dominate it's just another deck right but as long as something like that exists and is fine then it becomes kind of tough for a phoenix deck to be like you know an unstoppable juggernaut but you know i don't know any of the details about the format so <laughs> i i think the the better combo deck is actually the the jeskai sentency deck sure. which has a lot of fair game magic cards in it like treasure cruise and omnath those are like mm-hmm. the two huge ones dom actually won the ptq last week i believe or this week mm-hmm. i'm not exactly sure when and he played a really different version uh, compared to everything else I've seen people play, that just yeah, I saw that shoved all the omnets in the sideboard. It was really interesting, and I don't have it up in front of me or remember the card choices off the top of my head. But I'm hoping that more attention to Pioneer kind of brings out, oh, okay, we don't have to just copy every deck from the last Pioneer Challenge. We can actually work on these decks and improve the format as a whole. And that I think that's super exciting because no one's really doing that. Right. I mean, the fact that he can. I mean, Dom is very good, and often his ideas are... I mean, sometimes they're, you know, 2-2, let me leave this tournament ideas, 
as ideas in Magic the Gathering are, but a lot of times they're coming from a place where it's like, this thing is has not been explored, this thing needs to be exploited, let me give it a shot, and then he plays the deck very well, and that's a good combo. Uh, but the fact that this is a format where the tweet can be, won the Pioneer PTQ on MTGO, didn't feel like playing at first, had some ideas on Ascendancy, and built this late, please don't perceive my mana base, and then I killed them all. Like, you can't do that in modern. You can't think of a deck late in the day, put it together, and see. Like, you just get beat. Like, you need to tune your deck really hard. But the fact that this is the way that you can be successful in a tournament right now definitely means there's room in the format. There's there's exploration to be done. We're not playing just, like, monstrous tuned machines against each other that, like, turn anything else into dust. I also think a lot of the appeal of Pioneer, at least to me, is that it is unlike modern at the moment, which is very, very heavily subsidized by single card value engines, such as mm-hmm. the Elementals or Luris, where these cards are just so good that they kind of bring everything down to their level. You play a lot of fair games of Magic. A lot of the Pioneer decks are based around combinations of cards or synergies, as opposed to like, I've just got the best cards, and we're just going to play them all on the same shell. And a lot of that is due to the ban list. Like, Teferi Time Raveler and Wilderness Reclamation are just straight up not legal in Pioneer. Yes. <laughs> uh, so you get you get decks like the Wynota decks or the Sacrifice decks, where they're just they're really just trying to assemble a strategy, and you can pick apart that strategy the same way you cannot pick apart, like, oh, my opponent revealed Luris, and then Thoughts used to me. <laughs> I mean, you can still do that in Pioneer. Those cards are legal. But you're, you're going to follow them up with like a vampire or something. Mm-hmm. Probably not vampires, but you, you get what I'm saying. This vampire is not good. Vampires has to be fine. It, you like, can't Soren play still is. Oh, That's what I meant. Okay. <laughs> I, oh, 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 I see what you're saying. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, vampires is good. Like the, the three mana Soren Planeswalker is, is nuts. I haven't seen vampires and I, I don't look at the challenges for Pioneer super frequently. Mm-hmm. I think vampires are just a fine deck from my perception but yeah, I'm not that's too probably sure. true that's kind of how it's been for a, a long time in pioneer so that make that would i mean make i think sense. the three mana sword is nuts but the rest of vampires hold it back <laughs> yes no i mean that's always been the thing about the deck is that like soren is the best or the second best planeswalker ever printed if you have vampires to go along with it but you gotta play some stinkers to to do that i mean maybe crimson Val powered that deck up i'm not i'm not actually too sure I don't know. Well, we'll dive a little deeper into Pioneer over the next couple of weeks, I'm sure. Uh, I need to play it, though. I have not played it in a while. And it does. It just, I don't know, it sounds really fun. It sounds like a type of magic that I would like to play. Like, looking at some of these lists, yeah, like, they're, they're playing magic cards. They're not playing, like, oh my god, what is that even? Like, a lot of modern decks look like... I mean, there's still some really powerful stuff. You know, there's four expressive iterations in this. In a lot of deck lists. Uh, in a lot of deck lists. Yeah, very true. But, you know, like Dom has Burrow Elders in his deck. Oh, so. yeah, that was the sweet card. I, I couldn't remember. Another Eldraine uh, rare, just destroying <laughs> the format. Yeah, this one costs three mana and you need to untap with it, though. So I don't think there's any way to give your stuff haste, right? Uh, I don't think so. So no crimson wisps in this format nope not yet not until they reprint it in the new shadow more i don't know i mean it can't be at some point there needs that they're gonna print a red mana give a creature haste, something draw a card, haste. right like that's I, yeah. 
that's a very basic card design that boy we really have not gotten very often i think just crimson wisps i think that's the card that does it there might be some random one from odyssey with like a flashback cost of six or whatever (laughs) man they really may i mean maybe they have recognized like this is a card with like serious potential for breakability and and we need to be super careful with it possibly yeah yeah, I'm not educated enough to do a full, like, pioneer overview right now. I think we would leave our audience dumber than when they started <laughs> listening, so... Basically, what I'm trying to get at is that Pioneer is actually worth looking at and playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is much like modern after Pro Tour Philadelphia. It's just a mm-hmm. bunch of magic sets, and you just put them together as best you can without a lot of the after proto philadelphia modern cards like mox opal <laughs> in the format like the best single card is probably thoughtsies or maybe treasure cruise mm-hmm. and you're always going to have some outliers in a format this big it's just inevitable but there are so few of them in pioneer compared to early modern and right. i think that's and what makes it really good the number of like not necessarily medium magic cards but like not bonkers magic cards you kind of have to play in each of these decks is like you know you're playing magic cards against each other. You're bashing your your creatures into theirs or whatever. That said, Watsi, unban Kethis. What are you doing? Un- are you- yeah. Yeah. That is an Abzan card <laughs> that you basically need to play blue with. Give me a break. There are no fetch lands in this format. I mean, there's no way that it's better than Jeskai Ascendancy, right? There's no like, way. Uh... We never talked about any of the Kamigawa cards that sort of trickled out a while ago. We can take a second and talk about those if you would like. There aren't really any super interesting ones for, you know, competitive tournament magic purposes yet. Uh, Just one of the unofficial spoilers that will clearly be a one of in a bunch of decks. I don't I don't I don't like talking about leaks. Yeah, that's fine. I, I basically don't view them as real magic cards until Watsi prints them, because they're so easy to make nowadays. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And and it's not like I doubt the veracity of leaked cards. Like, I think a lot of them are pretty feasible, and that's the problem. Like, you can just make a lot of feasible magic cards. I will say, one thing that I've kind of, like, realized by looking at a couple of the cards that they... It is a little weird... And maybe a little bit, maybe just like culturally insensitive or like culturally unaware or something. I think it is a little odd to have like ninja and samurai in this set because I think that's a really weird way to like define Japanese culture. It would be like any set like like any property that happens in a western civilization regardless of timeline we gotta have knights and archers in there yeah 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 exactly or like anything in america anything in an american inspired setting we gotta have cowboys and indians and it's like well hold on like there's a lot more to the culture than that it's just those are the things that you know about and i mean to some extent this is a set that like in order to be successful has to resonate with Western audiences. But even that sentence like felt really icky to me to say, because boy, it feels weird to like just provide an interpretation of Japanese culture. That's like designed to fit Western assumptions about it. Uh, so it is kind of weird to me that the cyber, like the more I think about it, the more I'm like, eh, when the cyberpunk set has samurai and ninja in it. 
are are there samurai in this set do we know that for sure i mean one of the leaks is a common samurai so I, i'm pretty comfortable saying that there will be samurai in the set sure i don't i don't know i don't really have i'm not knowledgeable enough of anything about that to have sort of like opinion it doesn't feel weird to me but i think that's more or less because i'm approaching it as like a magic set where you just throw any creature type on anything and i'm more or less fine with it right but i don't know they're just like it just makes me wish they had done something a little more creative with if you're going to make a cyberpunk set yeah, put in well, cyberpunk think... archetypes and not medieval japanese archetypes what's weird to me is that in the announcement it, they basically said kamigawa was like half city half traditional so that they could mm -hmm. basically what i read it as or heard it as was them having an excuse to do like more traditional japanese cards without it feeling out of place with the entire new setting they just cultivated or to like right. explain why tamio exists at all i guess but ultimately that I think is an exercise in futility because it is going to feel weird. Like if you have a cyberpunk setting, have a cyberpunk setting, you know? Yeah. And, and Kamigawa is also tiny. The like actual place. Oh really? There's not that much of it. There's, <laughs> like where are you, where exactly are you putting a city? Basically Kamigawa is, there's a giant castle in the middle, a ganjo. There's a, there's a, some plains. There's a, a tiny little swamp, a tiny little school, Minamo a bunch of mountains and a huge forest all to the east that's hmm. it that's the entire plane <laughs> gotcha so i guess the it's like the city that has grown out around a ganjo and then the forest is the like natural part or whatever and i i guess i have no idea how it, like the there's maps in like the old uh stuff when they were doing the original kamigawa and the place just isn't that big it's very small and very centralized <laughs> so the, it, the idea of them having like a huge city and then just having enough space for just the rest of japan is really weird to me i mean i guess that is kind of how japan works too like as an island as far as islands go like japan not that big like they fit some like you know, modern Japan is like dense cities and country. obviously there's more to it than this, but there is a lot of dense city and then a lot of like mountainous countryside as like two big features of the the country as it exists today. But there aren't very many samurai and ninja running around modern Japan, I guess is really <laughs> yeah, that, like. That's true. That's true. There are not. I mean, I think the ninja mechanic justifies it alone and having a fantasy setting be like that. I, I'm cool with ninjas still being a part of it. Because there were like what five in the original Kamigawa block, mm -hmm. and then samurai, you could just leave. Like, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> it does feel a lot weirder that there are samurai and ninjas still, as opposed to just like ninjas. They could just be spies with a different name, mm -hmm. right? The rogues of this plane, yeah. I guess. Basically, yeah. I don't know. I I just you know I worry that. There's a lot of, like, service being paid to, like, Western touchstones within Japanese culture without, like, doing the work of finding interesting things in Japanese culture to present. And, you know, kind of a bummer to get, to feel that we're, like, getting that shallow of a representation here. But, but, but Chris, you forget, this is a return set. Return sets are <laughs> always worse than the original yeah true in terms of like 
like flavor or lore or whatever. Right, right. Like, for instance, there's a Umazawa in this set, and there just straight up shouldn't be any. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Boy, I guess that, that really is true. Like, it is exciting to go back, but every return set has been like a lesser version than the original at least like less exciting like like feels like a little bit of a a shadow of the original version yeah returns are just typically i think a lot of work goes into the initial conception and world building and then they just really try hard to ride the coattails of that work uh, at every Mm -hmm. other return i think the only return i was actually impressed with was the i think it was just the scars of mirrodin one because it was more or less just transforming the plane right right and and phyrexians are cool and it that marriage made a lot of sense and yeah scars was quite good but it still wasn't you know didn't quite have the magic of the original because it's like almost impossible to yeah and i also think the set itself wasn't that great like the the themes and flavor of the like mirrors going basically turning into new phyrexia that's Mm -hmm. all really good yeah. But the sets contained therein, not the most fun, even compared no. to like Guilds of Ravnica or Shadows of Rannerstrad, which I think are worse return sets, but still better sets for like game mm-hmm. experience. True. Yeah. I, I, I guess I was holding out and, and you know, we don't we haven't seen like any of the cards from this, so who knows? Like this could be great. I was holding out higher hopes because, you know, as a set name like Kamigawa Neon Dynasty absolutely fucks it and the it is a full on you know shadows over Innistrad is like okay we're going back to Innistrad and like something bad is happening just like something bad is always happening in Innistrad Kamigawa Neon Dynasty is like this is really this could be a whole new place like we can have some nods and we can have some throwbacks but we can have all new stuff here and I guess that's that's what I was excited about and like all of the official spoilers right now are throwbacks ex- with one exception. So there's, mm-hmm. we have all of four spoilers officially, plus all of the full art basic lands, which are super, super gorgeous. They are quite nice. I have a little, I'm a little sad that none of the actual cityscapes made it into a full art. It's all traditional Japan, which is kind of weird, but they're all really good. So I'll, I'll mm-hmm. forgive it. But all four of the official cards previewed, we've got Hijetsugu, Devouring Chaos, Atsushi, The Blazing Sky, Kaito Shizuki, and Satoru Omazawa. Three of them are callbacks. Hidetsugu and Atsushi are... Well, Hidetsugu is just a legendary creature from the last block who just doesn't die because he's a demon. Uh, Atsushi is a riff off one of the older dragon spirits. There's a whole cycle of them. Uh, the Umazawa card literally references like the most famous card or legendary creature in kamigawa mostly mm-hmm. from his jite but you know and then there's a ninja planeswalker which of course it, like <laughs> if i had to ask you what kind of planeswalker would be in the kamigawa set one of your top three guesses would be a ninja planeswalker <laughs> it specifically like hitetsugu and atsushi could both just like have existed in the original comic you know looking at the art and stuff there's nothing neon dynasty about these cards whatsoever <laughs> Well, I mean, Atsushi is circling around a building, so buildings didn't get that tall in feudal Japan. 
Yeah, but it's a pretty traditionally like pagoda styled <laughs> building. Yeah, it is. <laughs> this is this is not a cyberpunk building. Do you want to talk about like any of these cards in particular? I think the only interesting one for like constructed is Atsushi. Mm-hmm. Just because there's the dragon's deck and alchemy, which seems well suited for this card. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I don't particularly care about any of these cards. I don't think we need to really well, talk I, about I, them. Yeah, I, I love uh, the the Ninja Planeswalker Kaito Suzuki. Just because it's a really like, well designed Planeswalker. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be really cool in cube environments. Like mm, really good. True. Yeah, I mean, so this is a one and blue-black for a three-loyalty Planeswalker. At the beginning of your end step, if he entered the battlefield under your control this turn, he phases out. Plus one is draw a card, then discard a card unless you attack this turn. Minus two, create a 1-1 blue ninja creature token with this creature can't be blocked. Minus seven, you get an emblem with whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, search your library for a blue or black creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. So yeah, like nice, like ninja enabling stuff uh in cube it like does a lot of work by being this hybrid between like a value engine and also a discard outlet which is really really important to have access to so yeah definitely gonna have a lot of rules to play there at least it's also the first ability super neat not the plus one but the Mm -hmm. uh, when you play him if you enter the battlefield turn he phases out which is kind of it reads weird because when something phases out you think it would leave the battlefield but it just doesn't so it doesn't phase out indefinitely every time it just gets one turn of protection built in yeah and then you have to protect it like any other planeswalker i think that's a really good design especially for the ninja planeswalker yeah and i I think that ends up being really really powerful because like you know there's a reason they've never printed a planeswalker with flash as the static ability It, it gives you the ability to you know put the shields up and this kind of potentially does the same thing where you can't attack it that turn you're spotted an activation so at like minimum unless they spend a card to get rid of this thing or to kill the token like you can make the token get to the next turn attack with the token and draw a card and you know that's not like incredible but then they still have to deal with your planeswalker and you've got stuff going on especially like the the uh it makes a token, but the, you don't want to use the token to protect itself. You just want to attack and then draw a card because mm-hmm. that's often better. Yeah, and and that's good because like token making planeswalkers, the uh, general joke of that is like the tokens can block for the planeswalkers and make it really annoying to kill them. And by pushing you away from that play pattern, I think that's really smart. Mm-hmm. I wish a lot more t- planeswalkers that generated tokens, non-white especially just like couldn't block or gave you some incentive to attack like higher power or mm-hmm. double strike or whatever mm-hmm. this one's a good one where it's a, an ophidian or no no it's not an ophidian but it just can't be blocked yeah yeah well and right the planeswalker itself one of its abilities incentivizes attacking too yeah it's a nice i, I think this is a really nice design i think that's the coolest card of the bunch like the sitara umazawa which is a three mana two four that gives all the creature cards in your hand ninjutsu to uv that's very cute and it has come up with a i've seen a lot of like neat little fan art where you know you got Emrakul in a ninja outfit or whatever (laughs) that's adorable but the cards like mostly whatever gristle brand with a katana exactly (laughs) yeah well we'll be getting spoilers 
before you know it. So we'll have plenty more to talk about very soon. I think before yeah. you know it is like the end of this month. I don't think it's preview start until the 27th. Oh, okay, cool. Then we'll memory... have time to to get our deck expert episodes in before previews. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, the 27th is a Thursday. So I think that's right. I'm not okay. looking at anything. This is just off the top of my head. No, so you don't have to believe right. me. I wasn't going to look it up. I, you know, listen, the the MTG Grindcast episode planning uh process is a lot of like monday evening or tuesday during the day thinking what are we going to talk about today so (laughs) i try to maintain a calendar with like events and set releases and stuff but that requires a lot of manual updating that uh for a person with adhd is not the easiest thing in the world to keep up with so yeah but yeah we do have some really interesting stuff in the pipeline i you know we're we're way more ahead in planning episodes than we generally are because uh you kind of have to be when you reach out to guests and try to get them in on a schedule so really looking forward to that and and hopefully that is fun for y'all and interesting information gets presented you got anything else this episode no i think we hit all our our negative covid notes spoilers <laughs> yes covid still sucks i yeah. still am not a fan of covid at least we got to talk about pioneer a little bit not as much yeah. as like we will you know hopefully the next couple episodes that's but that's my next project is i'm if, gonna play at least a couple of leagues of pioneer if any let me know what you do if you don't mind me watching i'll i can hang out with you okay i, uh, I mean i will probably be playing phoenix first but well yeah of you course. know I, I don't think that was a question for me <laughs> But if if anyone's listening and you're just like, why would I ever play Pioneer? The answer is there's a bunch of Moto events, and if you're playing Moto anyway, just give it a shot. It's really fun. There's probably a deck you'll enjoy. I and, mean, all of the formats are like effectively the same as far as like tournament value is concerned right now. Because you know, if all there is is challenges, then you can play whatever you want. You know, I guess the tiebreaker is the time of day that the events start. Yeah. But yeah, Pioneer, basically exactly as important as Modern or Standard, so might as well play it. Well, I believe there are PTQs first for Pioneer and Modern, but not for Standard. Gotcha. Well, there you go. I could be wrong on that, and it's just that no one ever talks about the Standard PTQs, which is a possibility. (laughs) That's true. But I I haven't been paying close enough attention. I I have been... Mostly checked out of Magic for the past couple of weeks playing Slay the Spire and Breath of the Wild. So, but we're getting back into it now. It's a new year. A new year, new Magic. <laughs> Starting off with Kamigawa. It's an interesting place. Have not, never really expected to be here, but hopefully it, <laughs> it pays off. Thanks everybody so much for listening. We do really, really appreciate your time. If you'd like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I am at Lee McLeo. That's it for us. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Goodbye, everyone.